win, lose and draws. Plus two distracting games in the Carling Cup and Watford's 2010-2011 season is well and truly underway. From the Rookery End is back for podcast number three. Coming up. We interview the big cheese, Watford Chief Executive Julian Winter, and you'll find out exactly what he's talking about when he says... Because I can rip monkey with it. We chat with Sky Sports News presenter and Watford fan, Adam Leventhal, who has a love for the word... Flimsy. We'll also be getting an interesting insight into one young Hornet's personal life in our new feature called The Life of Brian. Plus we'll be hearing your songs for new Watford striker Troy Deeney and what you'd love to hear across the Vicarage Road PA system. All that and a lot of irreverent chat about the season so far. This... It's from the Rookery End. Hello everybody and welcome to From the Rookery End. I'm Mike and with me are John. Hello. And Jason. Hello. We're three Watford fans, season ticket holders in the Rookery End at Vicarage Road and this podcast is our take on the life of a Watford fan. Talking of which, how happy are you two to be back watching Watford this season, boys? Oh, absolutely delighted. Oh, couldn't wait for it to start. After the disappointment of the uh, of the World Cup, it was so good to be back and watching some proper football for a change. I loved, um, you know, going to pre-season game, and that really got me excited. And that first game back at, at Vicarage Road and also watching the Norwich game on television, I was absolutely excited. And what I loved the most about going back to Vicarage Road was it looked different. We've now got a slide and apparently a bus shelter. Which is wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely wonderful. Now, this podcast is being recorded on Wednesday the 1st of September. We've done it. Because of the, uh, the transfer window, let's 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 wait till after that closes. And we are currently in the Railway Arms pub opposite Bushy train station. It's all How- glamour for us. Oh, isn't absolutely. It? However, part of this podcast is going to happen on Saturday, the twenty eighth of August, before the Leeds United game at Vicarage Road. This means we're going to be doing some time travel throughout this podcast. Now, time travel's quite a complex thing, but the internet makes it very very easy. So just so you can keep up with which way we're going, there are two special noises. Firstly, when we were going backwards in time to Saturday. And of course, one for us going forward in time to point that we are now, which is Wednesday, the 1st of September. Okay, let's get on. Sorry, um, get on where? Here on Wednesday? Yes. yes. Not, on, not on Saturday. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll go there later. It wasn't that before. Okay, look, um, let's go on and have a chat about the season so far. When was that? A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. From the rookery end. So, boys, diamonds are a girl's best friend. And uh, they ain't bad for a formation, the Watford midfield. Jason? I must admit it's a, a, a pleasing style, pleasing on the eye. Yes. I think it's brought us uh, some... Sparkling football? Sparkling football. <laughs> free, oh, I was it was free-flowing football with a quick tempo. We saw it against Norwich. I think it took Norwich by surprise. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what gave us that flying start, that 2-0 lead. I thought we suffered a bit on Saturday Leeds game where they were closing us down really quickly. Mm. And I think that made us to sort of rush our football rather than us dictating the tempo. I thought Leeds were dictating it. Uh, and we didn't quite see that, that sort of quick tempo and that flowing passing. Well, I, th- I, th- I, don't, I wouldn't say Leeds were dictating a tempo. Leeds were stopping a tempo 
tempo altogether. Yeah, and they're yeah, doing yeah, everything yeah, else yeah, themselves. Yeah. You know, they weren't even starting yeah, their own little dictating jumping. Dictating the game. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Norwich and Leeds game was almost diametrically opposed. The Norwich game looked quite organised. We moved the ball around very quickly and with, with purpose. And against Leeds, we seem to have lost that. We lost the width and mm. lost the ability to move. The, the, not the ability, but the ability is still there. But the not even the inclination. But we didn't move the ball around with as much purpose as we did in that Norwich game. I think Buckley missing was a big, uh, big part of that. I agree. Well, we'll, yeah, I think Buckley's the key to that. To well, we'll, we'll talk about the, so the, the forward aspects of that diamond in a second, but at the back of that diamond is uh, one Super Johnny Eustace. So, Mike, this is your opportunity for the third po- podcast in the row to declare your undying love for John. John, if you're listening, keep it up, my friend. <laughs> you are a shining beacon of joy. I hate my job. I don't earn enough money. <laughs> the girlfriend mo- moans at me all the time. I do all the hoovering. I do all the shopping. But I'm still smiling, and it's all because of you, John. <laughs> Keep it up. But at the back of that diamond is is brilliant for him. It is it is where he's he does well, doesn't he, Mike? Absolutely. He pulls the strings. He's he's our, he's our he's our most experienced player. Um, he knows his way around around a football pitch, and that's very very clear when he's playing for Watford. Um, he, I think he's a master of the dark arts as well. He's the one that always sort of talks to the ref a little bit, lets him know he's around. I'm sure his opposition uh, numbers always know he's around as well. But we just look like a, a much steelier team with, with Eustace in it, and um, I'm glad he's uh, still in the yellow shirt. And, and you have to say, um, what a goal! Absolutely. <laughs> that head kick, did, did we know he had that in him? I had no idea he had it in him. But do you want to actually hear what that goal sounds like? Yes, please. It sounds even better than I remember, John. Fantastic. But, but he is scoring the goals going forward, but I think the key part of it is that he does give kind of defensive cover as well in that central midfield role. And it's an interesting story, uh, defence so far, isn't it, James? So, as you get on long car journeys, I had a bit of spare time whilst travelling back and forth between today and Saturday. So I put that time to good use by preparing the case for the defence. So what happens? After all that effort, I get back to Wednesday and we find that we've signed the left-back on loan, completely ruining my opening question, which was going to be, what problems do we see with a defensive line made up of three right-backs? Okay, so now, obviously, the question is, how, many how do we... Or, more importantly, how do we line up from here? Is it a case of Taylor in, Doily goes to right-back, uh, or... Do we feel that Hodgson still needs to be given a chance? What do you think, guys? I think I think Lloyd has deserved his place in the side. I think for me, it's uh, it's pretty clear. Uh, new, new, the new Taylor goes in at left back, slot Lloyd in uh, right back, and then uh, Taylor and Mariapa at, uh, at centre back. I think Lee Hodgson got a lot of time for Lee. He's uh, he looks great. He had a great season last year, but there's no harm in in keeping him in the reserves, keeping him a squad player. He's got a lot to offer us, and he'll do him no harm at all, having a, having a bit of a break. I also don't think there's a pro- there will be a problem moving them around and bringing other in, in other bringing in Hodgson no. to to replace you know Lloyd for for rests. No, I think but I, in fact, it's not exactly like you treat Hodgson like you would the other young players. Say, well, we'll put them on in the Carling Cup. We'll put them on, on you know for those type of games. You would easily substitute him in for any game against any team yeah, in the Championship. You wouldn't be unhappy to see his name on the team sheet, would you? You wouldn't be taken off. And I think the transfer window's just shut yesterday, has it? Where are we today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's shut yesterday. And I think you'll hear a lot of Premiership managers saying they want two players for every position. Mm. And so that we're sort of, we haven't exactly got two players for every uh, no. position, but to have a bit of cover and to actually be having a discussion about what our starting eleven is going to be, mm. I think is real testament to, to Malky and the scouting team to getting 
to getting players in. Well, if you've got Lee Hodgson and uh, Dale Bennett to come in your defence to kind of uh, back you up, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and Tom Aldred as well, who we saw in the pre-season friendly, who looked yeah. capable at centre-back. I must say, I do like that centre-back pairing, that Mary Affer and Taylor. Taylor obviously is in there as the big lump, clearing the ball out, getting... You know, a bit like Danny Shitter used to be. Um, and Martin Mary Taylor. Apper, not Martin not, Taylor, he's not, not Andrew Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Mary Apper is your more pacey uh, centre-back to cope with the fast guys. And I like that balance. Yeah, and that's, and that's quite good because Dale can easily be something for Adrian if he does need to move out because of the coverage or the rest of it. They're both that sort of energetic centre-backs rather than the, the, the lumps. You both mentioned uh, Mary Apper there. Mm. I found something out this week. My girlfriend fancies... Adi Mariana, <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> Which I suppose, seeing as I'm in love with John Eustace, is only fair. So, <laughs> not, but, you know, so I'm watching you, Adi. <laughs> yeah. But this could be a big year for him. This could be almost like he's he's out of the the shadow of of demerit. I don't think Taylor's ever going to be that sort of player who's going to take control, take command. But it could be a big year for, for Adrian to really develop his his role and his character within that in that defence. Almost be like the, the leader of the defence as well as vice captain of the whole team. Yeah, I think so. He's played, how many games has he played, Jason? Do you know? He, he, I believe he has played 162 games. Which for um, a that's amazing that you know that. But b for quite a young player, that's that's a really yeah. impressive stat. And the thing I like about Mario for the most is he looks like a footballer. He looks, he looks comfortable. He looks comfortable with the. Um, he looks comfortable with the ball. He looks at ease most of the time. He, you know, like any player, he can make mistakes, but he looks like a footballer. So I think I'll go along with you, John. That him and uh, Martin Taylor together are quite a good um, combination at centre centre back. There is one player we have not included in our uh, case for the defence so far, Mr. and that's our goalie, Mr. Lynch, <laughs> and it is the 1st of September today so we are very pleased to say he is still a Watford player he is because there were rumours uh, even the big money men are Manchester City um, who to continue my stat run have right. accounted for I believe £126 million of the £350 plus million spent in the Premiership over the summer so there you go so who knows how much they would have given us how much they would have given us for Loach but seriously no, it's very good to, uh, to see him still a Watford player yeah I think Scott Loach has set his stall out quite early. He's turned down moves before because he, he's got his eye on the bigger picture and he was pretty much immediately rewarded with that England call-up, albeit only to the squad. But would he have got that call-up if he was sitting on the bench at Manchester City or, no. or Arsenal? I, I doubt it. You're right, John, his career won't end with Watford, but I'm certainly glad it's, it's pretty much started with us. From the rookery end, from the goalie to the defence to Johnny Eustace at the back of that uh, that that diamond, we then got a couple of nice little wingers: Will Swashbuckley and uh, and Don Carey, kind of the, the feeders of our our men up front. How are you feeling about them, uh, Mike? I'm feeling um, generally pretty positive. Let's start with uh, Mr William Buckley. He's been great. I think we said before pre-season that we were looking forward to seeing what, what he's got to offer, and I don't think we've been disappointed. I think no coincidence that our least best league performance has been when, when Buckley started on the bench. I don't know why that was, whether he had a little niggle, but we didn't create as much as when when Buckley has started. He looks willing to, to take the ball on, run at defenders and get, get the opposition on the back foot, which is something that to be perfectly honest we haven't seen from Watford players in the in the past someone just willing comfortable to, on the ball take it forward 
ask questions of the defence. He does it. Yeah, I agree with what you say about the, the Leeds game. The difference he made when he came on the pitch, I think it was apparent pretty much straight away. He was picking the ball up, he was running the defenders, and we just had that extra bit of pace up front, that extra threat. Yeah, he does. I'm not saying he's one of the players who can run rings around every single player, but a player like him who's just prepared to run at a defence. Yeah, absolutely. Just mathematically causes more problems in the game. Yeah. Don Carey, though, I don't feel he's, he's Don 100% Carey. Don Carey. I'm not saying he's playing badly, but he's just not. For me, Don. he looks like he should be a better player. Because, again, he looks comfortable on the ball. He looks like he knows what he's doing. But something isn't quite clicking for me mm. with Don. Uh, I think he was a good sign. Um, and I think he's certainly got stuff to add. But I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I don't know if it's where he's playing, where he's uncomfortable in that wider position. I, when, when he was playing under Rodgers, um, mm. I think he always picked... Sorry. He, he, he sort of seemed to have a more central role um, and he was very good at timing his runs he sort of got into a lot of one-on-one positions and he scored a few goals um, then he got injured and then even when he came back at the end of that season I, I, I don't think he looked quite the same player that he was when he first signed for us and it's been like that ever since but I thought the Notts County game that first half when we were playing really well I thought he was looking back to sort of what we'd seen was best in that first season you may, that may be a reason because because Whit Buckley not playing, you know, he would have been part more of those games. And it's always one of those things with um, with footballers and your opinion of them is how much you see of them and how much even how much special things that they do on the pitch. Yeah. Which kind of leads me on to Stephen McGinn. Again, not playing bad, but you just don't notice him as much. Well, no, you're right, you just don't. And sometimes that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. You, you need someone in your, your engine room, perhaps, who's going to be doing the, the hard yards, the hod carrier sort of thing. But I'm not convinced that that Stephen McGinn is 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 that player for us at the moment. He's not he's not a massive guy. Um, I don't think he's got the same sort of presence as um, as John Eustace, for example. His young has got a lot to learn. I think again, hopefully a good signing. But I think we've, we've yet to see the best out of McGinn. Well, he's you know out of them all, you'd say he'd be the first one if uh, with our new midfielders, uh, you know, Loney of Jordan uh, Much and uh, Josh Walker, who's only made. One appearance at the end of the whole game, couldn't play the Notts County game, and didn't play on on Leeds. Yeah. That 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 you know that, that could be a, a, a very different come a, a month time when we we do this next time. It could be quite a different sort of starting midfield lineup that we have. I had a, a guy, he's a Middlesbrough fan, came to speak to me yesterday, and he came up to me and he's gone. So I hear you've nicked one of our one of our better players in. I was like, hey, sorry, you. You're talking about, I thought we'd made a, a, a late deadline day signing. Ironically, it was about five minutes before we signed Taylor from him. Oh, okay. But he was talking about Josh Walker, and he was saying what a great prospect he thought he was. I was yeah. disappointed to see him go, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to see that potential. I think uh, both Walker and Taylor played in the FA Youth Cup. Along with Danny, mm. Danny and... Uh, which is back in 96, I think. Was that right? No? 2006. Uh, 2004. <laughs> Right, so not, not a six anywhere in the day. So. <laughs> From the rookery end. But ahead of our little diamond, we have a, a couple of guys up front. Three guys who we've, we've seen a bit of each of them so far this season. I think we can safely say that we're the, the only club in the, in the country, if not the world, that started with a front two... Uh, called Troy and Marvin <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon. So if nothing else, we, can be, we may have sort of uh, loads of tailors, but we've got some first names that other clubs can't really boast. Um, 
so we, we saw Marvin Sordell and Troy Deeney. Troy Deeney, obviously, the big money signing over the um, well, sort of over the summer. Um, start with Marvin Sordell. I think he's I think he's played really, really well this season so far, without necessarily getting the reward he's his play has merited. He's he's worked really hard, which has been the the bonus for me. He hasn't got the goals in the in the four column yet, but he he has really, really worked. He had a bit of a blip against Notts County where he had yeah. that he'd call it an open goal. Some people would call it a brilliant challenge from the defender. He should have scored, let's be honest. But that that boy has worked tirelessly, and let's not forget he's he's really young. He is not someone that we would be expecting to see week in week out. No. Um, well, he's you, you say about that that, that Notts County game. That was the first game I think where it was almost like we were on the back foot, and his youth kind of cropped through a little bit more. Yeah, I think. And he, also, think and also in the Leeds game, you know, starting it was almost like there were moments in that game, and that Leeds game probably in the first game where mistakes were a little bit more obvious. Um, he, you know, his, his couple of his touches weren't quite right, which is fine. But like you say, that determination and that heart that's behind it—it's like almost you, you'd forgive a few of those moments. The key him. thing I think in the Notts County game was um, yeah, when he had that great chance where he got past keeper, then the guy got back to tackle. Um, was then he didn't then go missing. Yeah. He then, <laughs> ironically, yes. he then was in for another great chance where he just sort of miscontrolled it. I think when yeah. maybe he fluffed up. Yeah, first <laughs> But he didn't. Yeah, he didn't go into hiding. And then in the Leeds game as well, he had a, a good chance where one of the few times he did link up well with Deeney in that game. He's there to to have another go, and that's the thing I, I always say with strikers. Yeah. I, think I don't mind yeah. if a player's there missing Absolutely. chances at don't least he's there missing them yeah. 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 You don't mind better than someone who's, like not, who's scared Absolutely. to be in those positions because he thinks right. he's worried about missing I think in both those games we were, we were needing goals and I think as fans when, when a striker needs, makes a mistake when you're looking for a goal you know it's exacerbated it feels that extra bit frustrating in the first half when you missed a goal against, against Notts County you almost you don't laugh about it but you think never mind there'll be another chance coming along soon whereas if you're 1-0 down he misses oh, goal yeah. you know JG mentioned linking up with, with Troy Deeney. I think we could see against Leeds that that partnership's got a bit of work. I think they're both running down the same channels a couple of times and yeah. their understanding isn't quite there yet. I said next to a guy called Richard and he said to me, they're just not telepathic yet. <laughs> and it's true. I know that they, they they're won't not actually... do anything in training? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they'll have mind training double every single week. Double telepathy on a Monday morning. But it's, it's true, they don't, they're not all 100, you know, especially Sodell and, and, and Deeney, probably Deeney with a lot of the other guys because of the, the lack of time they've played together I think that's his first full 90 minutes yep. almost he's done yep. uh, Dini once that clicks it will click and I love the fact yeah, he's a big he's top a big heavy boy. player yeah. who's going to cause that problem when you say top heavy you don't necessarily mean fat no no no, no, no. <laughs> broad shoulders Broad shoulders. <laughs> and he wins a lot of balls in the air he he's, not, he's not a huge yeah. tall player but um, yeah he does win a lot of balls and he was doing that on Saturday but like we weren't getting anything off the back of them. Those, yeah, the no. that he was winning the headers, they were just sort of going out of play or going to well, defenders. That's, that's where they weren't well, looking that's up. That's telepathy. Like. And almost yeah. like, that's the fact that, you know, he, Sordell and even Graham just haven't played together a huge amount. Right. Well, Sordell and Graham, you said it, but They're that... Better. Graham's first goal against Norwich. Oh, yeah. man. What a, what a great one, too. That was, yeah. you, that yeah, was yeah, fantastic football. We go on about uh, Johnny Eustace's overhead kick being a fantastic goal, but as in terms of a, a, a two man movement, mm. that ball from Sordell through to Graham was yeah. like. I mean, that's exactly how you want strikers to work exactly. together. That was, that, was, that was very exciting, that, that Norwich game. We had Graham, who hit the ground running. His, his, his two goals were absolutely fantastic. Sordell worked as a sort of foil for, for Danny. 
and then we had Troy Deeney to come on for the, you know, almost to close the game out a sort of bigger stronger version of Marvin Sordell who'd done mm. so well so that, that triumvirate working like that in that game was hugely hugely exciting of course the, the problems we've been sort of talking about pre-season have been what happens if we get an injury Danny did get an injury against Notts County unfortunately he was out of the Leeds game and, and I think we suffered But I think we suffered but I don't think if it happens again in a month's time yeah, we'll be further down the line well, they'll be further down the line they'll be further down their relationship and how they work yeah. you know the next time he gets injured it's not going to be the same sort of you hope it's yeah. not going to be the same sort of reaction but we have to give plaudits to, to Danny Graham who, who really did come out firing despite his busted nose his mod- <laughs> modelling career in tatters he's still the uh, he still knows where the goal is. And of course, Danny Graham. Yeah, well done, Danny. Keep it up. From the rookery end. The first home game of the season saw a fantastic start for Watford going 2 0 up against Coventry. Way. With a late goal and a travesty of a penalty decision by a young substitute referee, it ended 2 all. Watford fans have debated the penalty decision the substitute ref made widely, so let's not go to that bad place once again. Now, due to the fourth official coming on, we were left with an injured referee who was finding it hard to keep control of the managers and holding up the electronic number board. There was one point where both Malky and Aidy were about five metres onto oh, the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and he was going to get hobbling back, on, wasn't he? Yeah. He just needed to go and get some treatment, but no ref was there to relieve him. As it were. <laughs> <laughs> so an announcement was put out across Vicarage Road. If you are a qualified referee, can you please let yourself be known to the nearest steward? It got a nice rumble of laughter in the rookery end and got us thinking, what PA announcements would you love to hear on a match day? Here are some of the brilliant announcements you guys came up with. Due to all his support and a clause in his contract for the second half, Elton John will be playing central defence. Any players not wearing black football boots will be banned from the playing field. I just had a sandwich. It was pretty good. Please form an orderly queue outside of the spare changing room where the cheerleaders will be available at half-time for some private dances. Could Liam Henderson come to Lost Property, please, as somebody has handed in your shooting boots? In case anybody's interested in what's going on in the cricket, tough. And in non-league scores, Luton Town nil, local tiny pub team eight. Would the Watford players please report to the Brazilian consulate with their passports to confirm where they're from? Man, I'm so high right now. I've got no idea what's going on. Can you eat footballs? I've got the munchies. Could everybody please check under their seat? Harry Hornets lost his head and he's not quite sure where it went. Elton John has decided to buy you all a pint. So the bar is free until 2.45. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you to everybody who commented via facebook.com slash rookeryend, via the Watford Observer website, and on our blog at fromtherookeryend.com. Great work, guys. They're all really, really funny. Enjoyed listening to that. Email the boys. Podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Right, um... What day is it, Mike? It's a lovely, warm, sunny Saturday morning. We're uh, standing outside the Rookery End at Vicarage Road Stadium. Uh, we're about to go in and in- interview uh, Julian Winter, the Watford Chief Executive. The big cheese, the big man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, Jason, because we, um, we can't ask him everything we want to ask him, can we? No, no, I guess uh, a lot of you guys out there have got a lot of questions about prospective new owners and what's happening financially with the club. But he is the Chief Executive of a, uh, of a PLC 
which means he cannot say too much about those subjects, otherwise he will get his wrist slapped by uh, the good people of the AIM. Yes, AIM is very big, important letters, so they must be very big, important people who can do big, important, nasty things to him. This is one of those frustrations when we, you, know, you speak to people like him. We, we live in a, you know, it's a football club, and we all know what's going on. He can only tell us certain things. So we're going to ask the questions. We can ask him, but he can't answer. Exactly. So we will ask the questions, and let's see what he comes up with. So let's go and go through... I think it's that door we need to go through, and let's go and see him. Let's do it. So, Julian, welcome to uh, the From Brooklyn podcast. Um, are your conversations with the bank manager getting any better these days? Yes. <laughs> they were in on Thursday. We had a good hour and a half meeting with the bank, so they're, they're much much happier with where we are. Yeah. We should point out this is the Watford bank manager, not your personal bank manager. <laughs> I never talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Julian, we've heard a lot about a bonds issue. Can you, for, for the non-financially minded like myself, can you sort of just give a layman's terms description of what a sure. bonds issue is? It is essentially a mechanic of positioning all the club's debt into one vehicle. So rather than having time-limited loans with different people, what this bond placing has done is positioned with our existing debt holders, so Ford, Watt, David Franson and Graham Simpson, all of their debt to the football club and positioned it in one place so that so the club essentially... And the board can get on and run the business on a daily basis without the concern of how do we service that debt. So it's in effect, it's one debt with one amount over on a it's regular one basis. Debt under the same terms for everybody. It's not a varying interest rate. We had all kinds of uh, different types of loans mm. at the time uh, when VGS were involved. Then Ford what took over, Graham Simpson, David Franson. So it's it's positioning it all in one place, very clear, very consistent. Um, and gives the board the opportunity to get on and run the business without too much focus on the, the high-level financial problem. So what's the view to keep us going for the next 12 months then with the bonds issue? Yeah, I mean, the bond documentation itself, although complex, if you're ever dull enough to read it, <laughs> um, it does set out a, a more or less a position statement for the, for the major shareholder. And it kind of says, look, I'm going to stand behind the football club, and this is what I've done, underwritten £7.5 of a of a bond in the via a kind of a loan, but it kind of says also that you know do do I want to be in this for the long term? Not really. It says it quite explicitly, so it's available for people to look at. Um, so the board's job is to try and look at you know what Watford looks like in the future in terms of its future ownership and shareholding structure. Pretty much that's as far as I can go in terms of the future because you know the AIM panel are fairly keen on 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 the club um, just getting on running the business. And when anything around ownership happens, then you can talk about it. If we start to talk about it in the public domain now, we end up in all kinds of trouble from the regulatory authorities. So I would rather, you know, not you want to hear, just say, look, it is what it is. Uh, you've got to trust the board to work with it, and we'll get on and do that. And AIM is the alternative investment market, is that right? AIM is the alternative investment market, yes. Yeah. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> in doing your research. <laughs> so where, where, did, where will that put us in, in say, when that, that bond issue changes? Is it another one or is it could anything happen? All things are on the table. Nothing is off, I think, is the answer to that. So okay. I think everything is reviewable as we progress. So everyone's aware of what happened uh, between the various men that owned the club last December at the AGM. Um, so the question is, have you started to make any new friends recently? New friends? Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame that Watford had to go through that kind of national and regional and local kind of bad press. It really was bad press, wasn't it? Because it's quite a difficult period. But Watford has a lot of friends. 
Watford does have a lot of friends. You know, a lot of fans who really love this football club. A lot of um, business people who love this football club. We just seen in the Watford Observer a guy who owns a local painting company. He's coming. He wants to help the football club. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what Watford is about. And the kind of the negative period that we went through because it was negative and it was pretty frightening by all accounts for everyone that's involved with the football club. Mm-hmm. We kind of put that away now. Um, and this is now about for for the board and for myself and for the staff and the players and the manager. This is about kind of almost repositioning Watford and saying, look, this is what we are now. You know, we, we, we play a certain way, we attract certain types of footballers, we de- develop our own talent. And along that way, we are um, developing interest and comments from other people and are we making friends? Well, we might be along the way and let's hope we make some really big friends mm-hmm. because people who believe in what we're doing will then come and support us. So... Uh, yes, I hope so. Is the answer in yes. summary? <laughs> with, with, yeah, with, with, with the Premier League, we all know that there's lots of kind of foreign owners coming into it, and it's clearly uh, an international market that they're trying to get involved with. New friends that you might find. Where, where, where would you think they will possibly come from? People who people who want to invest in football at the Championship level. Who? What type of people are they? Do you think? Uh, it, that's a very difficult question, and I honestly don't care. All I care about is that whoever wants to get involved with Watford cares about the football club and actually buys into what it is. Don't try and make it into something that it isn't. That's what I care about. That's the board's job, really, is to ensure that the next whoever, owners, investors, it might be the same, you just don't know, that are doing this for the right reason and believing what we've actually set off doing. I think that's, that's really encouraging to hear, Julian. John and I were at the fans' forum yeah. and we both came away hugely encouraged about what was said some of it was quite stark and some of the news about the East Stand and so on and so forth but the general feeling we got was that our club's in, in safe hands again and I, I wrote a blog and I went away and wrote a piece called Watford People it felt like it was yeah. it was Watford again um, because we've we've supported the club for probably 30 years Jason yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not so long for the rest of us showing your age and, and in that time at the beginning of our supporting, it was it was it was Watford, and that, that felt yeah. like it, it, it disappeared for, for quite a long time. And I know a lot, a lot of fans still feel that keenly, but we were we were really happy to to be back in the hands of people who obviously care about the club. And obviously, one of those is Graham. Yeah. Um, so, as chairman, what does he actually, what does he bring to to the club, and, and how does he actually fit in? Well, I don't need to tell you guys, really, do I? I mean, but I will. Um, <laughs> you know, I've I've been at the club for four years. It's had an interesting um, cycle of events, shall we say. Graham coming back onto the board at the time he did meant a vast amount to everybody, uh, the staff, obviously you as fans. I mean, in essence, what Watford is, he created, without being too stark about it, um, he created what people think about Watford locally, nationally, internationally in many, in many respects. So he was kind of ahead of his time, wasn't he? You know, I, I worked in community development for the national programme for about four years and they set up community entities alongside football clubs but it was doing it behind Watford that was already doing it. And Watford was doing it culturally, not necessarily as a, you know, these separate entities and so on. Watford culturally was the community club. It was. And that was Graham, because of the way the guy was, the way he wanted to work, the way he wanted to get players engaged in the life of the town and so on. And that, that is so pivotal now. Because when I say about repositioning... He is pivotal to that repositioning because we've done a load of work around you know, strategising and planning. But if it doesn't have a heartbeat, you may as well not bother. Mm. You may as well not bother. He essentially brings that. People look at Graham and go, yeah, he was the man years back. He did all this stuff and he was successful. And now he's back to help the football club. So he is 
so instrumental in what we do. I can't talk enough about it. I love the crowd. I just want to give him a big cuddle. They <laughs> <laughs> are a bit strange. <laughs> so that was us with Julian Winter. I personally enjoyed the experience. There was a lot he couldn't say. I think that that's fair to yeah. say. But what he did say was was encouraging. And as much as what I took out of it is we're getting back to being Watford. And we're gonna we're gonna use that as our base. Yeah. We're we're not quite there yet, I don't think. And I think Julian made that pretty clear. But we need to get back to to where we once were as a, a solid, stable club, and then we can look to move forward. And he certainly talks with a man who knows what he's aiming for, and what he tells us he's aiming for is absolutely what this club needs, and that's the most important thing. Me and then Mr. Graham Taylor around. It's not a bad thing either. Can't be. Yes, can't and be. also what I quite liked the fact was that he seemed to appreciate what we were trying to do as well, which was uh, yeah. He's obviously a man of good taste. Well, we've uh, got a little bit more from that chat uh, with Julian a bit later on, and yes, the E stand does come up. Also on the way, your songs for the brand new Hornet Troy Deeney, our new feature Life of Brian, where we'll get an insight into the life of a young Hornet. Plus, we'll be meeting Sky Sports news presenter and Watford supporter. Adam Leventhal. Keep up with the podcast blog on fromtherookeryend.com. Now, in the modern world of professional football, footballers are often scared to let the media into their lives. Trust can be abused and intimate stories can be sold to the papers for inordinate amounts of cash. Luckily for Watford players, we're not like that. We're not the traditional media. We're just a bunch of nice Watford fans who make a podcast. Because of that, one young Hornet has given us unprecedented access into his life. Born in London, yet unbelievably eligible to play for Northern Ireland, Michael Bryan is the star of our new feature, The Life of Bryan. Welcome to the Red Lion Pub. Here, are you that Watford player, Michael Bryan? Ah, to be sure. There I am, Mr Landlord. I also play for Northern Ireland, don't you know? Well, what can I get you? Well, as I am Irish, I could only drink a pint of the black stuff. There you go. It's on the house. Shlunsha. Um, yes, all right, mate. Cheers. Sorry, uh, where do you say you were from? I'm from Ham... Uh, uh, I mean... I'm from County Hammersmith. It's in the middle of the Emerald Isle. Oh, how I miss those lovely rolling green hills. Here, who's that old lady storming over here? Michael! 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 Are you ready to come home? Malcolm will have my guts for garters if I don't get you in bed by 7 o'clock. And I've got your tea ready. We need to feed you up and put some meat on those bones. Oh, Mum. I mean, I mean, ah, oh, mummy. Michael, why are you putting that silly Irish accent again? Ew, hang on, you said you were Irish. Ah, uh, to be sure I am. He's not from Northern Ireland. He's a very naughty boy. I always look on the bright side of life. Come on. Always look Okay, so still to come, the second part of our chat with Watford Chief Executive Julian Winter. We'll be hearing your songs for Troy Deeney, looking forward to that. And also talk with Sky Sports news presenter, but more importantly, Watford fan, Adam Leventhal. But John, it's quite brave to do in the pub. You've pulled out of your bag a bottle of wine, and it's got a Watford badge on it. What's that all about? I certainly do. Uh, You might have noticed, Mike, but this is uh, a new bottle of wine by Peter Clark. He's a Watford fan for over 50 years. 
and uh, has launched an official Watford wine, Hornet Sauvignon Blanc. Well, I do declare. Uh, he lives in New Zealand with his wife and family, has done for about 20, 30 years, and he owns Vineyard in Marlborough, which is in the northeast region of the southern island of New Zealand. Anyone who knows a little bit about wine might have gone to the uh, Tesco's and looked. Marlborough is a fantastic place. Surely anyone that knows anything wine. about wine wouldn't have gone to Tesco's, would that? <laughs> That's some decent stuff. Oh, okay. Well, Pete has been over here recently promoting the wine and he dropped off a couple of bottles for us to try out. Lucky for us he's over here. So uh, I think it's only right that we have a bit of a, a bit of a tasting. So um, I've done you a bit of a glass each there boys. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ching, cheers. Ching, ching. Here's to you Peter and here's of course to, uh, to Watford. Have a little taste. Oh. Do you know how to do wine properly by the way? You put it in. Through a right. straw. Mm. You need to get air to it. Okay. So we get that. <clears throat> it does sound like it, it does taste like a kind of traditional Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, but, but Jason, if, if you were going to describe it as a as a player, who would it be? Well, it's quite light and fresh, a bit like a, a Michael Bryan. Oh, yes, very good. It's a game of football, Mike. How would you describe well, it? It's very much a, a taste of two halves for me, <laughs> for me, John. It's a nice, light, refreshing, clear, crisp taste to start with, and then some uh, smooth aftertones of sort of summer meadows, strawberries, and... Um, whatever else you get in New Zealand in Marlborough. <laughs> it tastes really nice, actually. Joking it is. Aside, it's um, it is a, a very nice wine. and uh, I think, some more, actually? I think, I, 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 think I, I could even do you a whole bottle if you can take it back to your, to your, your lady. Right. You can get more information on it on clarkestate.com and uh, I think Peter's been uh, sending it around and uh, selling it in some wine wineries. What do we call them? Yeah. yeah, or as we call them, offies. Off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some wineries <laughs> or off licenses. You can't miss it, it's got a whacking great Watford badge on the front, and if there's another one out there with a Watford badge on the front, then my name is Elton John. <laughs> a podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. From the rookery end. So we're here at Vicarage Road on... What day is it again, Mike? I believe it's Saturday again. It is Saturday, now, right? So we're yeah. right, on Saturday. We are here with uh, Sky Sports News presenter and Watford fan, Adam Leventhal. Uh, Adam, welcome to From the Rookery End. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, just so you know, Adam, that uh, when we're recording this, we're actually recording this on a special iPhone app, which is called What's On Your Mind. So not only does it record what we're saying, but it also records the things that we're thinking. So is that okay? Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. Adam, you're a Watford fan. I wonder if you can get me Millie Clare's number. I do like blondes. And every fan we have on the podcast gets asked their Watford 4. First one is, what was the first Watford game you went to? The first Watford game I came to was in 1987, and it was Watford against Everton. And thankfully we won that day. And obviously we'd had plenty of meetings with Everton around that time that hadn't always gone to plan. So it was, uh, it was great. I was a bit of a mouthy little bugger. And... I, was, I just remember giving Neville Southall loads of jit <laughs> and just embarrassing my mum, who I came with. The thing I always remember about Neville Southall was it looked like he had more than one goalie shirt on. Do you remember <laughs> that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, he Did had he have two or three kicks lot, on that? Yeah, though? lots of collars, plenty of Vaseline smeared all over his face. He looked absolutely shocking the minute he came onto the pitch. And You gave it to him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He right. deserved him, it. Him and Gary Ablett kept uh, Vaseline in, in business. In that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who is your favourite Watford player of all time? It's a difficult one, but I have to say, just I was thinking about it on the car on the way in, and I miss the days of where we we had a striker that I just really thought you're leading us forward, 
you're big, you're powerful, and you're going to score goals. And I like the way you move. I think you're a bit cool. And it might surprise you, but I actually am going to say Paul Furlong. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no. Because I just, I just that whole time when he was and Bruce Dyer was just everywhere, and that's a bit random, though, isn't it, Paul Furlong? Why no, I said Paul Furlong? Well, that surprised me. I thought you were going to say Trevor Senior. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite Watford moment in the time that you've been supporting them? Well, the game that I remember as being the most sort of euphoric moment, aside from the playoff finals, yep. was a game against Bolton in 96 I think it was it was either 93 or 96 they were 3-0 up yeah. sort of John uh, McGinley yes. era McAteer yeah, yeah. had scored they were, yeah, they were all over us 3-0 up and then Gary Porter <laughs> scored a hat-trick out of nowhere and we won I was just like that was, that was fantastic yeah. I, I loved that day that was a brilliant day and I just thought Gary Porter you're a legend Thanks. what is your favourite Watford kit? it's tough to say which one is the best one I went to my mum's the other day because I used to I grew up in Finchley and there's a drawer at home with all the kits that I had. And they're all, they're all been kept pretty well. But I quite like the, you know the sort of the flimsy one with the the, the little button over, the Hummel yeah. one? With the, uh, from yeah, the yeah, Furlong era. Yeah, yeah, which, it's a pretty rank kit if you think about <laughs> it. But I, I just quite like it because they tried hard that year yeah. to be a bit different. And it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. The thing I'll remember, Adam, is you described it as flimsy. Yes. So <laughs> Adam, so sorry, this is going to be talking shop a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if Adam can get Georgie Thompson to take a picture of herself in a Watford shirt and send it to me. But your colleagues in the media, and um, how do you feel about how they perceive Watford and the media in general? How do they think, what do they think about Watford? You, you always have the connection with Elton John, and everyone always sort of has that in their mind, and there's always a glint in their eyes, and they always go, oh, yeah, but it's all, you know, no, no, no. rubbish, bit flimsy, family club, not hardcore enough we're harder than you, that sort of stuff. But, overall, when people deal with Watford in the media, we've always been very welcoming as a club. Chairmans, managers, chief executives, overall, have been good to talk to. I think, I think in the media overall, people like Watford, but I don't want people to like Watford, because if you like a club, it's like you're not scared of them. You think we're too cuddly and perhaps flimsy? <laughs> <laughs> You're putting words in my mouth, and I know I, I, I know I uttered the word flimsy, but yeah, yes. And so, when you're in the Sky Sports office, knocking around, do you get to talk about Watford much with your colleagues, or is it a football away? Is a chat away from? Football? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really come up much with Watford because we we haven't been pulling up trees of late, and when we were, we were easy pickings, and it. I just wish I don't know from somewhere we would find this amazing drive and just this hard outer shell where we started scaring people okay. and we haven't scared people for a while I mean if you think about last time we were scaring people was when Ashley, Ashley Young was yeah, pulling yeah, up yeah. trees and Marlon King was you know when we went up and AD Booth were obviously I like that that sort of that's a really interesting approach because we this morning we actually spoke to Julian Winter yeah. the chief exec and we were sort of um, very enthusiastic about it feeling like Watford again and a lot of the a lot about it feeling like Watford is it feeling Almost not like home, but sort of warm, welcoming, oh, right. and something you can be proud of. And that was something that, and it, I understand what you're saying, but it's almost diametrically opposed to, yeah. to what we were saying. We like, can you have both? Can you have that, the good club family ethos with still having a sort of. But there is a gap. There should always be a gap between what's on the pitch and how the club is run. 
you want the club to be run in that family way and to have all these connections yeah. but you want maybe like Asim wants the killer attitude on the or the not killer the scare, scare people on the pitch on the grass yeah I, it is a difficult balancing act isn't it and there's nothing wrong with being a nice club you'd much rather you know we weren't involved with someone coming in you know taking us to the cleaners ruining us financially I mean we've been pretty close haven't we yeah. over yeah. the last 12 months so in that aspect you don't want sure. you don't want crooks yeah absolutely top. absolutely so you have a really cool job I love the Sky Sports News theme where you get to watch a bit of sport is it do you enjoy it a lot yes yeah. absolutely it's a brilliant job it's um, it's a dream job. Everyone, all my mates are very sort of envious. Everyone I meet says, like you have, it's a cool job. And I, I can't really complain about it. And I haven't really got any room to manoeuvre and say, yeah. oh, yeah, but I have to, you know, I work long hours. Yeah, but, yeah. everyone says. So, what? I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't complain. It is a great job. Why haven't they asked me about the Sky Sports News female presenters? They're so sexy. I would have told them about the one that's an absolute die-hard Watford fan, and she's desperate to meet her glory hornet. Why haven't they asked me? What's the coolest thing, though, that you've done, or that you've, you know, you've, been, you've seen, you've met, or, or anything in your time at Sky? I think the last four years, because I've been doing a lot of cricket, um, the, the places that I've been to over the last four years have been amazing. Like going to Sri Lanka and, and India and South Africa and the West Indies loads of times purely because England have been over there so many times and um, I think it's just all the travel really I think that's that's been amazing but it's the one thing especially going to the West Indies you're working you're on tour but you're so you feel like you're so close to being on holiday but you're not that's, it's almost the worst thing in the world because you should be you should yeah, be on they holiday call them jollies don't they yeah. <laughs> hey, yes. yeah. Adam, we were we were lucky enough to talk to Craig Ramage on the phone last night. I was thinking about him. Earlier. And I don't know if you remember, there was there was Cooler's Craig T-shirts. Do you remember? Did you ever see one of those? Would you? What would you say was cooler, Craig Ramage or your job? I don't know Craig Ramage. One hundred percent. No, I, was, I remember the game um, against Grimsby when we were on the way down, weren't we? Yeah. I think we got relegated that year. Connolly was playing. That's right, yeah. He scored a hat trick. Connolly scored a hat trick. Yeah, we won six three. De was Devon White playing up top as well and he set up well, he he would have been, yeah. it was just crazy that time wasn't it we scored loads of goals yeah, yeah, yeah. and we rallied but then we still went down it was the last day at home to Leicester on the last yeah. day yes, yes. Emil Heskey got their winner that day didn't he good knowledge James. Oh. Oh. but Craig Ramage no yeah. definitely calling my job he was brilliant I, I, actually Furlong see you later <laughs> Craig, Ram <laughs> Craig Ramage is Late definitely yeah, definitely <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Troy Deeney was Malky Mackay's third signing of the summer. 22-year-old striker, signed as a Hornet from Warsaw on a two-year contract with an option for the third. Could be an important third. For what could be up to £650,000. Now... When we made the signing, I got to wonder, what song might we end up singing him? Because strikers always need a song for when they score a goal. A few fans online have said we should sing We've Got Troy Dino, but that's just taking away Lloyd's song. I think that's, that's disrespectful, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. He's earned that song. He's earned that. So we need a special song for Troy. 
On our blog at fromtherookerin.com, we set you a little challenge to come up with some special lyrics to the classic 1978 Blondie song, Denis. Can you see what we did there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, good. The response was brilliant. But our favourite came from Will Rowson. Brilliant. Not only talking about his on-pitch attributes, but the trade he learnt before Warsaw signed him up. Troy Deeney Dooby Doo, nothing he can do, Deeney Dooby Doo. He can bricklay too, Deeney Dooby Doo. He can bricklay too. Deeney Deeney, with your shirt so yellow, Deeney Deeney. Seems like a decent fellow, Deeney Deeney. He can bricklay too. Oh, when he runs. It's at the speed of light, and when he scores, it feels like paradise. Troy Deeney, he can bricklay too. Stunning effort there. Absolutely. That was great. <laughs> oh, brilliantly. Well thought out. If there's yes. an X Beautiful. factor for writing terrace chants, will you are you get my vote? It's a yes from me. Uh, we also got some songs based on some 1960s television themes. Now, as you do. Uh, as you do. Uh, Anonymous, who posted on our blog. Love Anonymous. <laughs> well, whoever he is. By the way, if you ever do send she. us. Or she. You're all right. Sorry. If you ever do send us something, tell us your name so we can, we can give you the credit you deserve. Or not, as the case may be. Yeah. Anyway, here's, uh, here's Anonymous's song. We are about to launch Steeny. 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 See, Anonymous, it's a shame you didn't tell us your name. Because I love that. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd like yeah, to thank you by sorry. name, and I'm sure the listeners would as well. But hey, hey, Anonymous. Yes. Cheers for that. The, uh, the final one, which, Jason, I think was your favourite, wasn't it? This is my favourite. It is very well done. Um, this one's done by Steve Wybar. you say that? that? Well, I don't know. Yeah, Steve, Weibar. if you're out there, let us know if you got that right. <laughs> Apologies, I got the wrong thing. Steve Wybar. It's simple, it's just brilliant. There you go, listen to that, it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I think we should start singing that straight away. All we need to do now is transfer window shut, we obviously need to sign someone called Robin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> From the Rookery End, get involved. Go to facebook.com forward slash Rookery End. So, Malky is the man who runs the show on the pitch, and Julian Winter is the man who runs everything else at the club. He originally joined Watford as community director and was made the club's chief executive officer in December 2008 after Mark Ashton left the position. Here is part two of our chat with the big man. So what's been your proudest moment here then at Watford? Proudest moment. Um, I've had a couple. I think winning Community Club of the Year two years out of three is uh, is testament to everyone at the football club because that's not not just about your charitable work that, you, that the Community Sports and Education Trust does. This is a club award. This is not a community award. So those two awards were, were really nice. And actually, um, four 0 away at Coventry was a really proud moment. And it was a really proud moment because we had ten of the eighteen homegrown with yeah. in a shirt that day. Mm, yeah. And, okay, people look at that and go, you know, that's necessity and because of the circumstances of the club financially, etc., etc. But I saw it as a real positive, and I said it on the radio, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I was really proud to see the way we played, the way we approached the game, and the fact, actually, when I analysed it, 10 of 18. And this year, 
We've had 10 to 12 of 18 every game, homegrown. Now, a bit of that has been necessity because of the financial position of the football club. But a lot of it is by design. So people need to get their head around that. It is by design that we have an academy that we're all proud of. We have an academy that's unique to us and the way we deliver it. And the club has had a long-standing tradition of developing its own talent. So we absolutely have to build on that year on year and really emphasise the point that what, what provides for young players is opportunity. What's great for me is that, and what I, my feelings pre-season were, it was born out of necessity, but that's totally irrelevant because what we have got to bring in the, the example that's on the pitch, you can see it's fantastic. Well, the bottom line is they've got to be good enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, they've got to be good enough, and the manager will tell you that. You know, they've got to be good enough. We asked um, people who follow our Facebook group, is, oh, is there anything you, they'd kind of want to ask you? And um, this one big building that now doesn't have a, have a roof kind of came up. What's that called? The stand. <laughs> <All right. laughs> where, where is that at the, at the moment in the, in the plan? Well, it hasn't moved, has it? No, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer it in two ways. One is that we can't allow things to stand still here despite our financial restrictions. So we know from a revenue profile what we look like as a football club. So we can only spend what we've got. In that, there, is, there isn't a lot of money for capital projects, certainly not capital projects of the size of the East Stand. So the way that's been addressed over time is we have a relationship with the rugby club. So Saracens have been fairly overt in terms of their desire to move away and find a new home, etc. But they've also been quite open about talking to us that Vicarage Road could possibly be one of the places where they, mm-hmm. would, they would reside longer term. So in that context, I've had an open and frank conversation with their chief executive, Edward Griffiths, over about 18 months, plus 18 months actually, since I came into post, so we're talking 21 months. And it's always been about the existing lease doesn't work for the football club. It might work for for you to a level, but also we're not moving forward any kind of making what we call a fit-for-purpose stadium. So within that context, if you want to stay, we would like it to look like this. So that dialogue's been open for, for a long time. And we will know by the 3rd of September whether they intend to stay or whether they intend to go. For us then, we're operating on a plan A and a plan B. Plan A, with Saracens involved, would look like that. Mm -hmm. With some funding from them, some partnership funding from elsewhere, and we can make some progress. Can we build an East Stand immediately? No, we can't. Because what we have to do is deliver the southwest corner. So the whole stadium development pre-me was southwest corner, then relieves the East Stand of all its services and can be demolished. Mm -hmm. Without the southwest corner, you can't do the east. So that's the focus. That's the focus of everyone's mind in terms of capital development before we get into talking about what an east stand might look like. But this next week, this next couple of weeks, we will know Saracens are in or Saracens are not in. And we can progress as a board on A or B. If they're in, then there is a way of um, getting some capital development done because the lease will necessitate some upfront capital contribution. And then we can go about thinking about how we match that and how we develop that and how we, how we go a stage further with it. If they're, if they're not in, we're on to plan B. And there is a plan B, but it's not about you know, getting fans excited and saying, you know, we're going to deliver an E-stand in a certain time. What we are going to do is put it high up the list of priorities because we recognise that we need to create a much better Vicarage Road for, for a fan's experience and to develop our fan base. We want to grow our fan base. So over time, you've got to have space to grow into. So... Long-term, medium-term to long-term strategy is to, to get on and deal with capital. But it isn't easy within the revenue profile that we currently have. Yeah. It will have to stand alone as a project, which I've said before yeah. um, at Fans Forum. So that hasn't changed. But we will get on.
We will get on and deliver some things. Talks about Graham Taylor. There is a, another famous man linked with this club. Um, just wonder, does Elton ever call you up for a chat? He doesn't call me, but he does, <laughs> he does call the manager regularly. So he's in regular contact with Malky. I think they talk every week about the games and the games that have been and the games that are coming up. Graham talks to him um, frequently as well. I've met him once, which is my claim to fame. <laughs> I met him at the training ground once when he came up to meet the players. Um, you know, I thought it was exceptional. Exceptional in the fact that his football knowledge is pretty second to none. You know, he's asking me about you know, how Jordan Parks was progressing at the time and this player that's been out on loan here and this player that's been out on loan there. What's happening to this player? What's happening to that player? You know, and I was like, God, you know, this guy is really into his football. You know, and then Oliver realised he's, he is that international... It took quite a while to get over that. Okay, and do you have a favourite Elton song? Um, I have quite a few because my mum was a bit of a fan, so I used to listen to quite a few. But I'm going to pick one, and it has some, some special meaning. Which um, at the concert uh, he dedicated a song to Malky, didn't he? Yes. Sorry seems to be the hardest word, mm. and I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go for that one. That is my <laughs> favourite song because I can rib Malky with it. On Email the boys, podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. So that's it for uh, another From the Rookery End. The next podcast will be ready to download on Wednesday the 29th of September following the Middlesbrough home game. If you want to get the podcast automatically, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. On the next podcast, we will find out a little bit more about the life of Michael Bryan and his mum, and we'll be interviewing Watford right back and one of the biggest prospects for the team, Lee Hodgson. We'll also see what's going down on the pitch in our away trips to Bristol City and Millwall, plus home clashes against Doncaster, Middlesbrough and the return of one Brendan Rodgers with Swansea City. We want to get you involved with the podcast, so follow us on facebook.com forward slash rookeryend, read the blog on fromtherookeryend.com or email us podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Send us anything you might want us to use on the podcast. That's podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. And don't forget to tell us your name. <laughs> that includes you, Anonymous. Of course, make sure you look out for our articles in all home match day programmes and also listen out for our new weekly feature on BBC Three Counties Radio Friday Night Sports Show, which is called From the Rookery End, Any Other Business. The Three Counties Friday Night Preview Show starts every Friday at 8pm. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Thanks to Adam for being a guest. Thanks to Julian for giving some, some time up yeah. for uh, our little uh, chat we had with him. Thank you to Jason. Thank you. And thank you to Mike. Hey, my pleasure. But most of all, thank you for listening to us. The season continues, boys. Are you ready for the next bunch of opponents? Yeah, yes, come on. Exactly.